To I was just wondering with me, Tom Salmon, the show that dives into music, film, and games, and everything else in between. And my guest on this week's show is the artist, educator, and the director of the Crypt Art Gallery and co-director of London Drawing, Anne Noble Partridge. Hello, Anne. Hello. Welcome to the show. First, <laughs> the first I was just wondering on Voices Radio. Um, so, for people who aren't familiar with your work as a figurative artist and educator, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so that's quite a. a complicated question weirdly because I do a lot of things Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, yeah you got in touch with me because I run the Crypt Gallery um, which is an amazing space underneath St Pancras Church Um, and um, it's still a crypt there's 568 bodies buried down there Um, uh, and we very respectfully use that as Mm. a gallery Um, so I run that gallery and I also run my own company which is called London Drawing and I've been doing that for about 15 years Right. and we run big uh, drawing events immersive drawing events we work with artists galleries performance artists and we also run live drawing classes and workshops Brilliant. Um, well, so just before we get into into all that, um, I just want to get the hardest question out of the way first. And what is art? And I'll be I'll, I'll frame it by giving my answer first because I think that's kind of like fair. Um, so for me, art is communication which can transcend time, space, and language. But for you, what is art? Wow. Okay. So another quite big question there. Yeah, get the big one out of <laughs> the way first. Uh, what is art? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess in a really annoyingly general way it's Mm. whatever you want it to be right um and um i think that's the essence of it really art is a very personal thing um so you can create create art in so many different ways like just by the way you dress you Mm. know by the the music that you make i think if you're expressing yourself then you're making art and that's quite an ancient like fundamental kind of primal thing Mm. So, like, um, so there's, there's, I guess, like, there's a sort of theory of like, does art have to exist inside the art gallery? Would you say does it have to be a defined sort of like space in order to exist? And, and um, in terms of just beyond like the every everyday, basically. Well, I think it used to be like that for a long time, um, and over the last sort of twenty years, I really think that's changed. Mm. Um, and um, yeah art sort of reflects society as a whole a little bit more now um and um i think a lot of the time real art happens in a kind of unconscious way Mm. um so confining it to to a gallery in a conventional sense like a sort of white cube gallery it's maybe one way of doing it but there's so many different ways of doing it Mm. um and yeah i guess a lot of the things that i've done over the past 10 or 15 years of sort of maybe challenge that a little bit. I don't want to sound like I'm kind of pompous or anything like that, right. but within the small kind of niche world of life drawing, we really sort of challenge that. And off the back of that, it's really kind of like blossomed into a kind of a huge sort of movement, particularly right. in London, but now kind of globally, now mm. it's gone online. Yeah. 
Um, so just before we jump into that, I just want to go back to sort of day zero mm-hmm. um, and uh, and just go back to the first time that you went to an art gallery, your first ever time. And what was the one piece of art that you saw there, if you, if you can remember, that really uh, sort of struck you and that spoke to your uh, burgeoning artistic sensibilities? Well, I was thinking about that. Um, and you know what? Um, I was trying to think, like, what's the first time that I really came into contact with art and it really... Uh, I really sort of decided that I wanted to kind of go down that path. And actually, it wasn't an art gallery. It was at Glastonbury. Oh, okay. um, Around uh, 1991. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Glastonbury then was quite a different sort of scene than it is now. Very much sort of more open and free and a bit wild. Um, And perhaps this is a bit of a kind of curveball answer to your question. But um, at Glastonbury, I remember I was about 16 and I saw... um, people really expressing themselves right. and doing their thing and not having a nine-to-five job and being a performance artist or a, a magician or a trapeze artist. I remember sitting like watching the trapeze artists uh, in one of the fields and I was very young obviously mm. but I, I really thought wow okay like this has really opened my eyes to what you can do yeah you know because at school I would sit down and they'd like in the careers office they'd say what are you going to do and I, I never really wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a dancer. Right. But it never really felt like a sort of career option until I went to Glastonbury. And then I thought, okay, I can be creative in whatever way that I want to be, mm. you know. And as long as people are interested, you know, and I'm interested in what I'm doing, then I can, you know, make something of that. And that's what I did. So were you, before that, were you like a, just a naturally like curious uh, child? Because I know that sometimes people can live with the confines of where they find themselves and that's about as far as they'll ever reach. And then there's mm-hmm. other people who'll reach out uh, further that want to express themselves. But was there a particular point for you where you realised that perhaps you may be different from other self-classmates in terms of your uh, appreciation for culture, shall we say? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, like I say, I, I, my roots were when I was a child mainly in dancing right, and performing. Right. Yeah. And I did art. But it wasn't, I didn't really want to be an artist particularly. Mm. Um, but I used to, when I was a kid, like gather all like, my little friends in the local area together. And we used to do shows in our garage. Right. And I used to like direct everything. So we'd yeah. make the costumes, we'd do routines. Mm. Like my brother and his friend would do little comedy acts. Like my dad would be the stage manager, right. you know. And as I've kind of grown up mm. and sort of developed my career, actually, that's kind of what I do mm. now. I gather people together and I sort of do the stuff styling the creative direction and I sort of manage the whole thing which is weirdly what I was doing in my garage when I was like eight. <laughs> um, so your parents have always been supportive of your ambition to be a, a, an artist and were they art, were they creative inclined themselves? Um, not in a conventional way no I didn't really kind of come from a sort of artistic background particularly my dad was always like really interested in art he used to take me to the ballet and like right, sort of right, right. take me to museums and stuff like that but neither of my, my parents are artists in that kind of a sense Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah it just kind of came out. Okay. <laughs> Right. Um, so I understand just moving on from that question, I guess, educationally sort of speaking, you um, graduated from the University of Hertfordshire with a B honours and fine art back in 1997. And I was just doing a bit of research in that period of time in terms of like British art. And it was, um, so it was around that time Damien Hurst had his sensation exhibition, which opened at the Saatchi Gallery. Um, so around that time you were graduating, there was this huge um, YBA movement mm-hmm. that was going on. Um, so what was your biggest sort of artistic takeaway from your moment in that in that time? Well, I actually, I remember I went to Sensation, that oh, okay. exhibition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a really exciting time um, to be graduating. Uh, the 
the main thing that I actually remember from that show was Dead Dad, mm. um, which was uh, a piece. And I suddenly the name of the artist has escaped me. Is that I'm a, sure. I'm, yeah, so I've, I uh, vaguely just I'm trying to remember. Over, was it the bloodhead? What the guys? No, it was blood, this uh, really realistic um, sculpture of a very kind of small oh, uh, man, yeah. naked man lying on the floor. It's like hyper real. Mm. Ron Muick. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and actually, do you know what? Around that time. Uh, what I do now, so more sort of figurative art yeah. and uh, like life drawing and it's sort of exploring mm. life drawing actually was hugely unfashionable mm. in those days. Yeah. So weirdly, I felt quite a lot sort of on the outside of the, the art world. Um, and uh, it felt like for some reason what I was interested in wasn't kind of cool or fashionable, mm. but I thought how can that be not cool or fashionable if I'm interested in it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's quite a weird time to to be doing what I was doing. I actually ended up doing like underwater photography and film and video and it was all figurative mm. based. Yeah. But not really in sort of more traditional kind of drawing or painting. Yeah. Um, because no one really was doing it and I wasn't encouraged to do that in those days. Really? It was massively unfashionable, yeah. So what was the so at university, what were your lecturers sort of like pushing at that time before this big explosion of YBA happened? Well, I mean, uh, uh, I originally went to um, an art college in St Albans. Right. Um, and that was like, I guess it, what you say, a little bit more traditional, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess it was just seen as quite sort of unfashionable, weirdly. Mm. Like everyone was like doing Damien Hirst and chopping things up and like, you know, sort yeah. of making sort of performance art or mm. conceptual stuff. Yeah. And uh, if you do more figurative based stuff, then you just didn't really kind of get anywhere. You just sort of got ignored. So for a while I was quite disillusioned with the art world. I can imagine, yeah. yeah, because there was a huge, I guess, like, because um, at that point, like, artists, and I, and I was thinking about points in time of, like, art that 30 years after that kind of, like, happened, and there just seems to be this sort of vacuum that was created by that they mm -hmm. came out and sucked a huge amount of, uh, uh, like, money and also, uh, I guess, like, culture of art, like, British art, and then there was just a huge vacuum ever after because they just occupied that position. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem, 10 years afterwards, there was another wave of exciting artists that were mm -hmm. getting patronised by, say, someone like Charles Archie mm -hmm. or um, uh, Larry Bogosian, I guess, mm -hmm. is the more American sort of side mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so that just sort of follows on, actually, onto my sort of next question uh, nicely. So after the month you graduated university, away from the routine of working in a studio, art crits, like uh, private viewings, art students sort of hangouts where mm -hmm. you could literally talk out art for hours, um, and then you got into the real world. So how did you start finding your feet in the real world of like contemporary or commercial art after yeah. you graduated? Well, I think it can be quite uh, disorientating coming mm. out of art college because you're in this sort of little bubble in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and when you come out, it's like, how do you be an artist? How do you make money out of that? You know, yeah. and a lot of people don't and mm. they just don't become artists and they don't do that. You know, they go to art college and then they go off on a career and do something completely different. And we see a lot of those people coming back to the classes that I run now. Right, right. Um, uh, but yeah, I came out of art college. I felt quite disillusioned with the whole thing because mm -hmm. I didn't really know like how to proceed. You know, there yeah. was no like path. And also what I was really interested in was quite unfashionable. So for quite a while, I didn't, I didn't really follow like an artistic path. Like, I worked in a pub. I, I, I did all the sign writing there. Yeah. Um, but I think... Because art isn't a, um, a sort of linear path, mm. 
you have to um, be quite self-sufficient. And actually, when I was at art college, uh, the art college that I went to, that it was in a massive transition at the time, and it wasn't it, like it wasn't massively fashionable. It wasn't kind of hugely like academic or any of those things. But what it did teach me was to um, to kind of be independent. There was a really sort of independent scene because there wasn't a huge amount going on mm. at the University of Hertfordshire at that time. Um, so we had to kind of just get on with it and do like homemade stuff. Yeah. And that really has um, sort of like formed my kind of way of doing things ever since. So actually, yeah. although the experience of art college was a bit weird, it made me quite uh, self-sufficient. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I just and I, I just decided that I would um, do what I wanted to do rather than what was fashionable, if you see what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I was kind of drawn to sort of towards um, doing stuff that I liked rather mm. than trying to be cool or any of those things and through doing volunteering I did quite a lot of volunteering and yeah. galleries and institutions um, I worked as um, an assistant to a blind art student oh, wow. for, yeah. for a couple of years and I assisted her doing her degree which okay. is really interesting yeah. um, and I just kind of tried out loads of stuff mm. um, and um, ended up working in an art gallery and through that ended up teaching life drawing and right. then started doing more and more life drawing and kind of getting into that scene yeah. and then I was invited to teach at Tate Modern right, right. and that really kind of we ripped okay. up the rule book and like went mental yeah 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 <laughs> so uh, just to put like a sort of time frame on that period how long did it take you from being like a disillusioned art student to kind of getting to the Tate and because I think oftentimes like creativity expands and it contracts and sometimes mm. it needs to contract for you to be able mm. to move to the next thing so how long did it take you to sort of navigate through that and also what kind of kept you what motivated you to just basically like keep on going through that yeah well um I graduated in 1997 and we started working at the Tate in 2006. Right. So that was about 11 years. So I was a, yeah. like, so it took a while. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's not an immediate mm. thing. I mean, sometimes it is. Depends who you are and what you're doing. But um, it's yeah. not an immediate thing a lot of the time. And you just got to kind of plug away at it and have your fingers in lots of pies in order to be able to kind of earn a living. Yeah. So I think I've tried to all the time with all the work that I've done, always had a sort of creative element to it even when I was working in the pub I was doing like sign yeah, writing yeah, yeah. for the pub so like every job that I've had there's been a sort of creative element to it mm. and if you're in that creative environment you meet creative people and you make those connections and right. that networking and then that mm. that is the really useful thing okay making those connections um so I'd just like to just jump in on actually your um your practice, which is exclusive figuratively we've talked about, which was terribly unfashionable when you sort of started out, but it centers on the theme of the body in space. And so going from doing sort of sign writing and then also doing your sort of side projects, how has that developed over the years working in the commercial art space? And have you had to change? Obviously, you're very passionate about frigative, exclusive frigative work, but has that even had to sort of change within the commercial space to maybe do frigative work that's more commercial, should we say, for want for a better word? Well... I think uh, over the time that I've been doing it, actually, there, there's been like a huge kind of turnaround in the art world generally. Yeah. And um, there, for a long time, there's been a massive kind of figurative, like sort of undercurrent, like grassroots sort of mm. movement. Mm -hmm. And that has over the last like 15 years really kind of blossomed. So just through doing what I'm doing, I've kind yeah. of caught that wave. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, so it, it's often these things are cyclical, mm -hmm. you know. And when I was at art college, it was massive, massively unfashionable. And now yeah. it's kind of really come back in. And like, if we're right next to Central St. Martins are, right yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've taught at Central St. Martins many times, mm. you know. So having gone from being massively unfashionable, now 
like like you know I teach essential minds mm. and um, a lot of the students there they want an easel and they want a studio they want to do figurative work and they mm. want to explore that stuff and they can't because those things aren't essential oh, minds really yeah because oh, wow. you know so the yeah. the art colleges are sort of slightly kind of behind right. a little bit now yeah. with what's kind of really current in mm. lots of ways um, but I think when I started working at the Tate, I mean, that was 2006. That was quite a while ago now. Mm. Like, the, no one was really kind of treating the figure and life drawing in a contemporary way. I think the mm. art colleges didn't really know what to do with it because it was quite unfashionable. And it's like, well, why do something so unfashionable? Yeah. But when I was working at the Tate, we it just seemed ridiculous to do it in a in a conventional way, you know, mm. when you're there mm. in in the turbine hall or you're in a Gilbert and George exhibition. Yeah. You know, like how do you relate life drawing to that? Mm. So we started using the model as a sort of conduit right. through which to explore concepts and materials and processes. Mm. So all of a sudden it became a much more kind of um, contemporary sort of language right. that we're using with regard to life drawing. And off the back of of that now like 15 years later like mm. there's a huge kind of movement of using life drawing to to explore um body image yeah. sexuality gender mm. um art generally performance art like the whole shebang like yeah. it like that is a something that everyone does now but when we were doing it at the tate no one really was so right. it's bit we've kind of like ridden this sort of wave mm. Um, and the art colleges are just kind of catching up now, weirdly. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so just before we jump into that, I've got a few questions um, sort of later on for you about it, but I'd just like to locate your terms of your uh, practice and in terms of who would you say is your, uh, maybe three is a bit much, but in terms of your inspiration for figurative work. Um, I, so I was looking at your um, Instagram page and from what I could see, the figurative work was quite, quite kinetic in terms of, and you do like multiple series of the same person. So it looks, obviously it's like, a, almost like, a, I don't know if this is the right word, but sort of a triptych of motion of a person sort of like turning. Um, and I recently went to the Courtauld Gallery and I saw uh, Cezanne's figurative work who's supposed mm. to be, well, I, well, supposed to be, uh, he is the godfather of like contemporary art in, in terms of like form and, and, and colour. And I weirdly, maybe this is a huge jump which sort of like trace back to sort of like Suzanne and then through the interlude of those those preceding sort of like artists um would you say that that sort of influenced your work in in some sort of capacity yeah I mean again like if you talked about Suzanne like 20 years ago mm. you'd been laughed out of the room mm. you know like yeah, yeah. but now um it feels a lot easier now that um life drawing is kind of has, has become contemporary mm. you can then look back and, and appreciate again like I was in Amsterdam over the weekend we mm. went to the Wright Museum and saw lots of Rembrandts yeah. you know and uh, you say the word Rembrandt it's like Van Gogh you kind of you have these images in your mind and think oh right yeah I know what that is mm. but until you actually see it in person and you're there in front of it and it's like wow yeah. that is in, intense like insanely skilled and beautiful and there's lots of kind of layers sort of conceptually as well as like actually in the mm. in the work um i think it, at the now it's much easier to sort of look back on historical work yeah. and sort of see it in a new light in a way yeah yeah so um so yeah i mean my influences are like huge right mm. from you know like Rembrandt and right, Renaissance, right. Renaissance art through to like there's a huge fashion or sort of trend at the moment for more kind of like sort of pagan sort of style okay, yeah, art yeah. where people are really exploring the occult mm. and spiritualism 
maybe be, you know because of the pandemic but also you yeah. know through like sort of gender and sort of mm. you know like exploring the self you know yeah so i think at the moment it's a really interesting time you know you can sort of pick and choose from any sort of point in art history and really kind of relate to it at the moment, I think. Yeah, which brings me sort of nicely on to actually viewing art into your role as director of the Crypt Art Gallery. So you spoke about um, it's in the middle of um, Houston with uh, 500 and was it 68 bodies, did you say? Yeah. Um, uh, Buried there. Um, So what was the journey from obviously seeing that space for the first time and then seeing the potential for an art gallery there? Well, weirdly, again, it's uh, one of these kind of synchronistic things. Mm. Yeah. That's often what happens, I think, as an artist. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I first came in contact with the crypt through my partner's father, right. who was the, the uh, vicar at St Pancras Church. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they were trying to decide what to do with the crypt. They were, they were thinking maybe about turning it into a cafe mm. or, you know, like a community space. And... Um, uh, my partner's dad said, oh, you know, come down and have a look. It's really, you know, it's really cool. So we went down and had a look and I thought, wow, this is an amazing space. Like I can totally imagine performance or art or mm. like, like it'd be a great creative space, but like don't do anything to it. Just leave it yeah, as it yeah. is. Mm. Um, not that they were using me as a, some kind of consultancy or something, but um, in the end that kind of is what happened. So um, uh, I, I, I've been running the gallery for about eight years, something like that. Right. Um, uh, so I wasn't there when it, when, you know, when it was set up. I was actually working at Candid Arts Trust, which is um, an art, big art centre in Angel. Okay, yeah. Um, and I did a lot of art administration there. And I remember, like, sort of seeing the gallery and thinking, oh, wow, you know, it's so cool. They've turned that into a gallery. It'd be really cool to work there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool to run that. I could do that. Yeah. You know, and then, I don't know, it's like, I guess I'm manifesting. Right, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. by thinking about it and saying it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then when the uh, the administrator left, um, they the church got in touch with me because they knew that I'd done a lot of art administration. That I was, you know, I was sort of in the art world, yeah. and they what you know they wanted someone to run it that was maybe had a new sort of fresh pair of mm. eyes. So I just said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, and yeah, and I started running the gallery. So that's my sort of history there. Right. And it is an amazing space because I remember I was studying actually in Burbank just around the corner and I just jumped up, randomly just went, walked down that street and went down. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's such an amazing space. Mm. Um, and I think, and like, so one of my, my next question, uh, you know, is thinking about contemporary British art galleries. And I mean, basically the buildings not necessarily the art and display there like the white cube that we sort of spoken about Saatchi gallery um the turner contemporary in, in mm. margate they're pretty much the same space polished concrete floors white walls massive bay windows and to my mind they seem quite homogenized and academic mm. which i feel that can be a barrier to entry mm. uh, for the general public where somewhere as the crypt um in a sense, that's ancient, and that's to do with like community, it's to do with uh, religion, it's a religious sort of like space. Mm-hmm. It's a well, it's a generally welcoming space mm. for whoever you are, and you can go down there yeah. and interact with the art. And also, the thing that I've sort of like noticed is what I like to do. So there's the crypt art gallery, there's a welcome collection, smaller space with a small amounts of art where you can dip in for like twenty mm. minutes, experience it, and then go, like go. It's not yeah. you're not overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, what I really love about the crypt gallery, and I guess that's why I'm there and why I'm sort of running it, mm. is that. Um, I really try not to have a sort of house style. Yeah. 
you know i i try not to monitor the stuff that's going in too much mm -hmm. because you can make judgments personal judgments about art yeah um and uh, you're sort of like imposing your own sort of aesthetic onto it or your own ideas of what's cool and uh, a lot of the time you don't really know what's going to happen until everyone's in there mm. and something that looks a bit rubbish on paper could actually be really quite interesting um in the space you know so i try not to judge things too much yeah and that works really well within the the, the crypt gallery space it, mm -hmm. uh, it feels like when people go down there like genuinely they feel uh, like they're going into a different world mm -hmm. it's quite immersive and like you say it's a very kind of weirdly welcoming space although it's very damp and like yeah, potentially dark, yeah. kind of a little bit scary um uh, the vibe that comes comes off the space is a really, uh, really interesting one, you know, that people yeah. can really relate to somehow. So you get all kinds of people going down there from like tourists who just happen to be walking past to people who live in the area, people who work in the area or people coming especially, you know, to see the show. And, it, and it, it's, re it's really sort of special space, I think. Yeah, it is. Um, so just following on from that question, um, I know that it's, you don't have a created set of artists you've mentioned that are coming in and going to display work. So the last time that I went to the Crypt Art Gallery was like last week and I went to see the greatly, the greatly titled uh, The Vomit Vault of uh, London, A Salute to Puke, which I have to say, um, other than the sort of like... Uh, well, you could say the necessarily like puerileness or or like toilet humanness um, of it was for me one of my favourite um, art exhibitions I've been to recently because uh, for me when you looked behind the actual you know the just the image in itself and looked beyond and into the sort of like puke if you will to see uh, that it became a sort of like a social economic. Uh, sort of comment on society mm. um and i had a nice, nice chat with the with the two ladies that were moderating or by, by the door mm. and there's something they spoke about um and i guess like for me with the impending sort of like food crisis like cost of living in terms of what people are able to sort of like throw up and the luxury of being able to sort of throw up in the street and the the people that have to sort of clean it up it threw a lot of things into well it's quite cathartic <laughs> isn't it yeah <laughs> And it's quite it is like almost like a, a pollock or something, you know. It, it, it does have that sort of like motion, that sort of yeah um, loss of control. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that's an inter interesting show that you saw mm. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was by Bumpasam Pa, who are actually quite well known um, sort of artists, creators. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, a, a social comment, I think. That, yeah. And it was a comment on the uh, the pandemic as well, mm. and sort of coming out of that, and the sort of like the cathartic sort of nature of it yeah um it's not typical of a show at the uh, the crypt gallery however i have to say like yeah. i you know because we don't have a house style it is massively eclectic mm. so you know uh, we did a huge show last year which went on for a month um and uh that was about um sort of queerness and um uh, sort of paganism right and that was like we had thousands of people coming through the door yeah you know so we do like uh, sort of host big sort of shows like that yeah and then much smaller ones where it's maybe just uh, an artist coming in and just testing stuff out in the gallery mm -hmm. like um during sort of times where it's not that busy i i sort of organize residencies right. so people can play mm -hmm. in the space and bounce off it a bit and sort of create things um like we had a, an artist called uh, dominic blake uh who came in for a week uh, in the summer last year and he just uh, responded to the space with his body like making little videos okay, yeah. uh, and sounds 
Um, and he was just kind of down there for a week, like sort of like naked most of the yeah, time, like yeah. sort of responding to the space, mm. you know. So there, I, I think it's really important to have that um, mm. that things like you saw, which are quite mm. kind of um, sort of high end, like organised shows, right, right, right through to people just like In- just messing about, mm. which is really important when it comes to creativity, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's important to have that wide range of things happening. Yeah, and I also think like a lot of stuff that ends up in art galleries is either something that a, a collector or a patron has bought that wants on display to increase the value of it. Because mm. I guess like it's the iceberg of art that we only see the one percent. Mm. And like now, essentially, art is just purely reduced to the price tag. It's not like artists can be particularly controversial now. The only thing we hear about art is like how much somebody's bought it for. Not that mm. it's particularly shocking. Yeah. In that way. I mean, I guess well, it's like with everything. It depends where you look for your art, right, doesn't right. it? Really. Yeah. But um, I mean, that's what uh, I found a bit. I kind of I was just very disillusioned with the art world generally when I left art college because that's all I could see yeah you know but it's only when you kind of like sort of get into it and go underneath and sort of see beyond that that you find where the real art is happening yeah uh, at places like the crypt yeah exactly yeah yeah um so just sort of moving on to um London drawing which you said you started back in 2006 as we've like spoken about, I just wonder, in terms of the genesis of that, was there a moment where you were sat somewhere and you just suddenly, like, the light went off, there was a creative entrepreneurial spark, you were like, oh, I need to push the boundaries of, of figurative drawing, of, of, of live drawing, and then you slowly started to... And, and, and that essentially, was that built off your sort of disillusionment, I guess, as well? Was that was there almost like a convergence of things that happened? Yeah, there I suppose you? so. Because, uh, like I was saying, it, it it felt odd to me that I could be so interested and so engaged and really want to do something that was so uncool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and uh, it was really when we were asked to run the classes at the Tate that mm. that light bulb moment happened. Yeah. You know, because uh, they'd done a few classes there and they the, the tutor just kind of stuck the model in front of a piece of artwork and everyone had just drawn the model. There was no connect yeah. between the, what was going on around them in the gallery and what they were drawing. Mm. So that really gave us the opportunity to like rip up the rule book a bit and, and rethink how you can respond to a human being, essentially. It doesn't yeah. have to be life drawing in a conventional sense. Mm. You know, it can be all all manner of things you know yeah um so that really was the light bulb moment for me where i suddenly realized that you can um work with a life model as a an artist yeah so um a lot of the life models that we work with are performers or writers or musicians Mm. or you know they they're doing it as a side gig or they in those days they were and i suddenly thought like surely we can like use all this potential so it's more like we started sort of collaborating with models so look sort of thinking about the model in a different way i think was like quite key yeah to the whole thing you know sort of working with the model instead of using them as an object just to draw from yeah yeah um and that's sort of switch in mindset that set us off on the path and if you I mean if you look into the live drawing scene globally now or mm. even you know just in London you can see that happening everywhere now 
Yeah. Uh, so one of the earliest events that I could kind of see um, was a drawing event that you put on, uh, Drawing Theatre with Paul uh, Kingsley at the Shoreditch Town Hall in mm-hmm. 2013, mm-hmm. which I could see from the short video that was on the on the website. It was a mixture of like live performance, uh, music, mm-hmm. um, them interacting with like a canvas and then people drawing the interaction mm-hmm. um, with it, which I, I guess like also explored the like the body like there were like I guess like naked there was mm-hmm. na- nakedness and, and that kind of thing so from that and in terms of where you, uh, your live drawing events where can you remember if that one was like a very one of your very first one or was that like it was very the, near the beginning because right. when we worked at the tape for about six years mm-hmm. and we would do classes there on a Monday um, and uh, it was just a couple of hours in the gallery yeah and we were just thinking, you know what, like it feels like there's potential to do stuff other than just here and now at the Tate. Although obviously it's amazing to work at Tate Modern. If yeah. you're going to do like massive life drawing events anyway, you want to do it at Tate Modern. But we thought, how can we sort of move on and go beyond this? Because, you know, you can't work at Tate Modern forever. And we didn't, you true, know. True, true, true. Um, yeah. And uh, we just thought, OK, well, what elements are there at Tate Modern? What is working there? You know, you've got the environment. Mm-hmm. You've got the models, you've got sound, you've got the artwork on the walls. So how can you sort of recreate that environment and, and make it this sort of immersive experience? Yeah. Um, and that's when I started putting together um, venues. So Shoreditch Town Hall, for example, yeah. um, which has got an underneath um, sort of basement space. Um, and we work with Paul Kindersley, who's a performance artist. Um, and he has a very kind of strong, like visual aesthetic, almost like um, sort of creating big vi- uh, visual 3D collages. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the sound as well that you can like, you know, you can sort of play sound or have a sound artist there too. And you've got all the people drawing down there. So this this big like creative exchange happening yeah. where the audience or the, you know, the participants, they're not just sitting watching and there isn't that disconnect between the people drawing and the people being drawn they're yeah. all like creating together mm-hmm. um so once I, we realized that we could do that that kind of set us off onto this sort of path of you know sort of much more kind of collaborative sort of performative way of working yeah but it all started at the tape i see and, and also thing i would sort of like say just a comment on that is that like there's two separate forms of um, of art and it's uh, I guess like it's sort of function and how people interact with it so there's the catharticness of actually being able to create a piece of work which you work through from your own emotional perspective and your own technique and then there's the one where you go to a gallery and you view said work mm. which is again like the artwork is uh, it's in the gallery it's presented it's against other art galleries as a context for it we don't necessarily I to my mind really talk about the actual um, benefit of actually just creating art and not necessarily having to be like the one percent of artists that's mm-hmm. going to get um, get paid for it. That there is a real function of being able to create a piece of art for your own, uh, I guess, like well-being, spiritual, mm-hmm. however you uh, want to say it. Um, and I just don't see at the moment the focus is always on like the end product and not necessarily mm-hmm. on the creative journey. So I don't know if that's something that you've sort of in- encountered. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I say, um, it depends where you're looking for your yeah. art. Mm. Often art in art galleries, that's the kind of not the end point exactly, mm. but it's the finished point yeah. a lot of the time. Um, and what I really enjoyed about life drawing and sort of creating like these immersive like events is that it really encouraged people to be creative. And it felt like there was a massive need for that. Yeah. 
Um, you know, a lot of the people coming to the classes and events that we run are just kind of regular people. They're not necessarily artists or even that creative lot in, in their life generally. But there's mm. this like thing that people often come and say, oh, I used to do art at school yeah. and I haven't done it since. And I wanted to do something, yeah. you know, and they like they could just come along and be an artist, mm. you know, so we can sort of provide them the components that people need, you know, because on your own at home, in your room, it's a bit like, where do you start? You know, you're like, you need something to kind of bounce off. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, creating that environment where people could um, draw, paint, like, you know, sort of w within a structure. Yeah. Uh, sort of creates, you know, that um, uh, sort of fulfills that need, I think. And it, mm. even more so now, like over the pandemic, we did a lot of online stuff and the the audience for that was absolutely huge you know because people just needed something to hold on to and in terms of that audience that online audience you i guess you were able to reach across the globe so i guess you're coming into contact with people from all over the place so did, how far and why did you manage to get people to to engage in these life life drawing yeah. classes well i mean we're still doing it yeah we're still doing it i was on a call this afternoon rehearsing for a, a class we're doing on saturday with oh, nice. a model called ali who yeah. lives in the u.s mm -hmm. um and yeah, I mean, at the, at the sort of in the, the height of the pandemic, we, we were getting like hundreds of people coming along, people from Peru, Russia, right. yeah, yeah, you know, like all over Europe and the US mm. just sort of coming along to classes. And there was a massive uh, sort of communal um, experience mm -hmm. there, you know, yeah. so it was really exciting. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been able to work with models from all over the world. Mm -hmm um and uh and draw from them and sort of collaborate with them and it yeah i mean from that point of view it's it's been it's completely sort of changed everything so if somebody wanted to become a model uh for <laughs> you how do they go about uh doing that just in case somebody's listening would like to would like to engage and people often ask that. that question yeah um well it's a bit of a tricky one uh because although anyone can become a, an artist model essentially yeah. Um, there were some people that are just really kind of tuned into it mm -mm. and then other people not so much right. it's hard to sort of describe I guess yeah. you need to have like a sort of an, I, I suppose a sort of um, treat it as a creative process yeah yeah okay in order to kind of engage with it a little bit mm. so it doesn't really matter what you look like particularly mm. it's more your sort of approach to it mm. you know yeah and some people just intuitively kind of have that um, I don't know that kind of that sense of engaging with it right okay. and that really helps everyone to engage with it right yeah you know I, um, so just picking up on that, um, I listened to a Radio 4 interview you did and you were vocal about the importance of um, art students at upper school drawing new models from life tackle issues of body dysmorphia, sex positivity and porn addiction, um, which was an interesting thing. So I just wondered um, how receptive were schools and teachers to that idea? And is that still like an ongoing um, discussion? For well, you? yeah, I think I think that's ongoing. I mean, that came off the back of an interview that um, I did with a, a newspaper. It was just an offhand comment. Right. Um, and it kind of blew up uh, in the January 2020. So just before the pandemic happened and then it kind of went out the window because we all went into lockdown. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a long time, I've worked with a group called Spirited Bodies um, and um, we, I've always thought that uh, it's, it, it's kind of a, a life drawing is a, an artistic thing, but it's yeah. also from a, a sort of well-being point of view. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's a whole nother layer to it that I really love, you know, because I think if you walk into a, a life room and you're, you look at a life model, it's kind of like holding a mirror up to yourself. You know, if you don't like yourself, yeah. then it's going to be quite difficult to sort of tolerate really kind of looking at someone and really getting into drawing them. Yeah. So there's a hell of a lot of self-acceptance going on in a life room in some ways. Some people mm. walk in, they don't even think about it. They just want to do some life drawing. For other people, yeah. it's quite a strong experience to look at someone naked in that kind of vulnerable way and also yeah. have that um, permission to look as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, life drawing, and again, I'm going to perhaps say something controversial here because it was controversial at the time, yeah. but having life drawing in schools would address so many things, mm. you know, uh, particularly at the moment where you've got so much imagery yeah. online and on social media, you know, of, uh, sort of bodies and the way that they're presented um, to sort of introduce that via life drawing you yeah. know I mean I've taught class I used to teach a class um, in Highgate and the youngest person that came along to that was like nine right and they just come along and draw just like everyone else it wasn't like some kind of crazy thing they just really enjoyed drawing there was a whole little group of kids that would come along mm. and I just you know we just kind of interact like everyone else in the class and I think being able to just sort of like look at have that permission to look mm -hmm. and see lots of different people and bodies and like yeah. think about it in a in a quite a normal way instead of turning it into a big thing was was really healthy it felt kind of cool and just to ask a sort of deeper sort of question in terms of what's been your relationship with i guess like the human body and like bodies in in general in terms of like growing up because i know typically in, a, in an english sort of fashion we tend to be sort of like well to a certain i guess it depends where you live but quite conservative and the only time where you would maybe see like nudity in a context that wasn't necessarily pornographic would be going to an art gallery and you would see mm. portrait of some sort of cherubs or you know or like mm. a greek sort of like statue of, of something like that so mm. how did you locate going from i guess say like the idealized form portrayed through art to say like the more like naturalistic form that i guess drawing from life encourages people to examine yeah I mean, if you look to the like the seventies and sort of performance art, then there was a lot of sort of nudity and a mm. lot of ex sort of exploration of that. Yeah. Uh, so it's always been there, um, but I mean, for me, I didn't particularly come from a, a massively liberal house, you know, right. like some families, or you know, it depends where you're from and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I remember when I first did a live drawing class, I was introduced to it. When I was about fifteen, something like that, through yeah. my art teacher. I remember going in and just being totally fine with it. Like it felt like I was okay. at home, you All know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think being able to, I mean, I've seen a lot of bodies in my life mm. through teaching, you know, all kinds of people, all sorts of things, you know, like everyone. Um, and uh, it, it helps you to kind of love yourself a little right. bit, you know, like, cause you, you, when you see someone standing there and maybe, I don't know, uh, they've got uh, a disability or um, they, they're, they're a larger person or they're a very kind of thin person, you know, like all different types of bodies. Mm. Um, and maybe like they're much older as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You sort of look at them and, and uh, there's a massive respect there. And you look at it, it allows you to kind of contemplate your, your own body, if you see what I mean. You know, mm. we're all going to get old. Yeah. We're all, all these things are going to happen. Maybe there's things that you don't like about your body, but that person's sitting there and they're okay. You know, they're all right. They're sitting there and they're allowing you to look at them. And there's something really positive, I think, about that. Very kind of um, fundamental that goes beyond 
like advertising or you know all of that hyperbole or you know yeah. all that stuff that goes yeah, on yeah, yeah. it's very simple mm. you know and there's something rather lovely about that yeah there is there's something yeah real sort of purity um so just moving on to my last four questions i just want to get your hot take on a couple of big art related issues um so firstly i have a friend who's a cad designer who has zero interest in going to art galleries because he feels art isn't for him so how would you persuade someone like that that does he does do like a creative creative thing to actually engage with with art mm. yeah i mean i think a lot of people feel like that but like you're saying about like turning contemporary or the sort of big galleries it's a bit intimidating when yeah, you yeah. the door um i would say it's useful to sort of think about art in a slightly different way and mm. maybe search for it in other places you mm. know i mean if you look for art it's all around yeah yeah true yeah that's the thing like you don't have to go to a gallery to encounter art and the more you sort of engage with it and find art that you can relate to mm. the more all of a sudden it's like the gallery doesn't seem so intimidating yeah. after all you know um and i mean the amazing thing in, in the uk of course is that like the galleries in london are free yeah you yeah, know yeah. and places like tate modern you know is um just even going and looking at the architecture might yeah. be the thing that draws you in mm. so it's just finding what you find engaging and interesting about it rather than this sort of weird idea of what art should be yeah and there's some because i guess there's two sides there's this sort of visceral of looking at a piece of artwork and then there's intellects intellects even say the word the um intellectualization of the process mm. of, of looking at you can get caught up i guess like the academic sort of side mm. which brings me nicely onto my next question so one of my pet peeves um is elitist art critics just a small set of them they're not necessarily all art critics i want to lump them all in but i feel sometimes when they're talking about art they take too much ownership of the ex of the experience of actually viewing it they talk uh, they see more hidden meanings within the work that mere mortals can art they art um, articulate in definitive terms about art to work that seem that don't allow any other form of interpretation I, I feel like it, it can be quite exclusionary mm. um, and I'd also maybe lump in a little bit art historians who give very performative uh, talks as I've seen recently on, on YouTube to crowds of people that look like they're struggling to stay awake mm, yeah um so I don't know, how do you feel about art criticism? Do you think it film, uh, forms a particular Well, I mean, function? it's all self-serving, isn't it, in a way? Mm. It's like the the big, you know, like white cube sort of galleries, you know, it's sort of, it, you, you sort of pick up an artist and put them on a pedestal and then all mm. of a sudden their work becomes more expensive, people make money out of it, you know, it's within their interest for it to be exclusive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like... I mean, I guess it goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago. You know, it's, it depends where you search for it. Yeah. And the real art is found in the everyday a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like there's like two different types of art in a way. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I've worked out when I first mm. came out of art college. It felt like art was this thing that other people did, that this world that I couldn't work out where the goalposts were, let alone what the game was, mm -hmm. you know. But through being creative and sort of doing what I like and like sort of connecting with people and you know like going for the going for it yeah yeah I've kind of found art that mm. works for me mm. in a way so so yeah I think a lot of these things are designed for it to feel exclusive and to feel like you're on the outside but there are lots of stuff loads of things going on that you can get involved with that, that is really about creating and about art that doesn't involve art critics and yeah. big art galleries and lots of money 
Um, and so here's the sort of dilemma. So through my YouTube uh, rabbit hole that I fell into, um, researching and engaging with contemporary art, there is this dilemma where you'll listen to um, Damien Hirst talk and he'll people constantly questioning him about money and about mm. money he makes. And he doesn't seem bothered by it at all. In fact, he seems quite an opaque mm-hmm. individual. And mm. there's very, he's... Um, well aware of the factory process that he creates and the interview will always question authenticity. Uh, so I think my thing is like, would they be happy with the most authentic artist that had ever lived that was truly about his art, that had, but nobody had ever known about it? Surely with art, there is always going to be some commerciality to it to get it in front of people. Mm. And the idea of um, authenticity versus money will always be a complicated yeah. one. If you had some it's complicated. I mean, I would say David Hurst is a businessman. Mm. First and foremost, you know, yeah, um, and he's done amazingly well out of it. His art at the moment is a little bit boring. Mm. A bit boring. It was really interesting when he first started, but it's, mm. I think you know because he's a, a business person. Yeah, you know, I think that impetus to really make really interesting, like fundamental art, is kind of it's just not maybe not so much there. Obviously, I'm making massive generalisation there, but you know, yeah. like. Um, I mean, a great example is Van Gogh, you know, Van, yeah. Van Gogh's lifetime. He, nobody bought the work. Nobody mm. was interested in what he was doing at all. Mm-hmm. But you, like you go to the Van Gogh Museum now. And again, even then you could still make assumptions about it. Think, oh, yeah, Van Gogh, I know what that's all about. Yeah, you yeah. go to the museum, you see the wealth of the work mm. and the skill of it and the amount he produced. It was just like flowing out of him. Yeah. Amazing. Totally amazing. And mm. now, like, you know, like you can't billions and billions of pounds to buy one. But when he was alive you know mm. but it, that's so often the difficult thing it's like getting getting it out there in an, in an authentic way yeah and that that's the the tricky bit i suppose it's very tricky yeah because yeah. eventually if it's if it's successful it'll become a postcard in a gift shop like regardless how, how yeah like, authentic i mean it is um depending on how palatable the actual work is because obviously there's some tracy i mean work that you wouldn't necessarily want that on a postcard or say like the chapman brothers going back to the sensation yeah um which seems to be uh less of how are we doing okay so i've got time for a few more a few more questions so um so we kind of like touched on this um, a little bit, uh, but I guess like a big part of being a working artist is earning enough money to keep your practice going. So what, in your opinion, are the three things that an artist can do to earn money in like 2022? <laughs> uh, that's another tricky question. Um, well, I mean, it goes back to that thing of like having your fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess, trying to make sure that whatever you do has a creative element to it, mm. or at least finding that creative element in whatever you're doing because often what you do to make money isn't the the you know the you, you know you can't we can't all be sort of amazing like Damien Hurst or you know footballers or whatever to yeah. like live the dream um so so yeah I think if you've got that drive in you yeah then you will make it happen if you see what I mean I see yeah you know um so I've often just really kept a lot of things going and also done some quite boring stuff mm-hmm. you know on the side I do a lot of boring stuff as yeah. well as really cool stuff you know like there's there's a it feels like when you say you're an artist and by the way for a long time I didn't really think about myself as an artist right. I, was, I felt like I was more an, an administrator yeah. so I did a lot of administration but over the years I've kind of learned that actually I've changed my mind about the way my art manifests itself I don't necessarily have to be drawing mm. like being a creative director and styling yeah. and putting together big events there's an art to that definitely yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so perhaps changing the way that you 
see art. Like it doesn't have to be like making a painting, putting it on the wall and selling it in the gallery. Mm. You know, like you, you can, I think like sort of changing the way that you think about what art can be and how you can make it yeah. is really, really useful, you know. So then, you, then it makes it easier to find art in what you're doing in it as a career. Um, so a very hard hitting question for you now. What's the future of contemporary British art in the next five years? <laughs> Okay. Um, I mean, I guess like NTFs. I guess that that's very popular. Yeah, right now. Like, maybe. Yes. Um, I think probably like going more down the sort of homemade route. So the less mm. kind of business orientated route, I think, is definitely a thing. Um, sort of spirituality and like looking for some kind of higher sort of meaning, like going back to the roots of yeah. art you know like think about like sort of ancient um uh, civilizations you know like who could sort of navigate by the stars and like right. sort of understood the universe through their minds mm. you know i think that is the the future you know right. uh i think people are really sort of searching for a kind of a, a some something like a spiritual element to it right and that is like really coming sort of really coming through at the moment and people you know exploring their sexuality and their, mm. their gender and all, that's all like wrapped up in all that stuff you know so i think there's like people are expanding their minds yeah yeah in whatever way that that might take that you know they yeah. want to do that like that i think is uh a sort of perhaps part of the future mm. of art definitely yeah um and just so finally um what's your dream project if money and time wasn't an issue oh um god i don't know do you know what i think like working at the tate was a dream project okay yeah that was the that like that was an amazing amazing opportunity mm. that i can't still can't believe happened now yeah you yeah. know and whatever i do in my life like that is going to be something i always look oh, back nice. on and think that's like that was amazing mm -hmm. and i did a brilliant thing yeah, yeah you know yeah. and i've set off and again it wasn't just just me there were other things going on at the time but genuinely like set off a whole sort of movement mm -hmm. with regard to life drawing contemporary life drawing yeah and like that's quite a cool thing to have done i'm pleased with yeah, that it is you made a mark <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so um so just, I guess, like finding where can people check out like the Crypt Art Gallery and London Drawing and, and what sort of events do you have going on? Where can people find your social media, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, OK, well, um, you can check out London Drawing at, at London Drawing. There's lots of different variations of London Drawing groups and all kinds of things happening mm. on social media. But we're just simply London Drawing. Uh, so you can check out social media there. Check out our website. Um, you can have a look at the Crypt uh, website, uh, cryptgallery.org. Um, and uh, I don't actually have an Instagram for the Crypt Gallery because it's kind of complicated to run something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's under the radar in lots of ways. Yeah, you know. So if you're listening to this show, then, you know, like you're on the inside track with the Crypt Gallery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a really hidden gem. I love it so much yeah. down there. And I'll continue to yeah. pop down there. And Yeah. And we've got quite a few uh, student shows coming up mm -hmm. over the next few weeks. Because uh, at this time of year, you know, we've got a, a lot of kind of people coming out of college and sort of trying new things. Yeah. Um, uh, if you want to check out London Drawing, we're working with an artist called Robert George Sanders. Mm -hmm. We're doing a big fashion illustration event online next Friday right. on the 29th. Um, and we, we run classes across London in person, online. 
Uh, you can drop in and do like two hours of live training, get some great tuition. You can do a workshop. Um, yeah, we've got loads of stuff happening. Brilliant. Um, well, I think that brings us up to our hour. So, Anne, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak to me and let me know about London Drawing and the Crypto Art Gallery. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Voices Radio.